0: Alright, happy Mother's Day to all our moms. Can we give all our moms some love for a minute? Absolutely. Wow, fantastic to have all of you here today. What a great day to celebrate Mother's Day. I'm so glad the rain has decided to like move away from us. Right, yes, yes. And uh, man, you know, I was, um, you know, before service each Sunday, I usually go around, greet people, say hi, how you doing, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, just, just trying to connect with people, connect with life. And uh, You know, I went up to this mom and I was like, hey, how you doing? She didn't say hi, how you back? Nothing like that. She goes, I don't have to cook today. (laughs) So you know what? If you're a mom and you don't have to cook today, congratulations. All right. For those of you who do, the rest of the family does not like me now. All right. That's awesome. That's awesome. But anyway, Happy Mom's Day! Uh, as we go throughout the service, I'll have a couple things that I'll say about moms, and uh, at the end, we do have something that we want to present to all of our mothers because our mothers are fantastic people. Again, if it weren't for them, we would not be here. So thank you, mom. If your mom, if you haven't talked to your mom yet, she doesn't live around here. Make sure you call her today. Amen. I know a special mom who will be getting a phone call when service is over. All right, here's what we're going to get right into: Part three of Divine. Purpose. All right, I'm going to continue in the message series. I know it's Mom's Day. Don't worry about it. I can tie Mom into this. All is going to be well. Okay, but divine purpose. Okay, if I ask you this question, or you ask me this question, how do I know what God's will is for my life? You know, how do I know it? If you recall, in week one, we talked about First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three, where the Scripture just kind of spells it out for us. That the will of God for your life is one thing, one thing only. And that is what? To be holy. To be holy. That is God's will. See, we, we make this far too complex. All right? We as humanity, we make things far too complex. Have you ever met somebody that makes things far too complex before, right? Yeah. You know, you could say, you know, we just got, you're at point A, you need to get, get to point B. You know, the quickest route to that is what? A straight line. Some people don't believe in the straight line theory, okay? They've got to go to the left, and they got to go to the right, and they got to go backwards and forwards, all right? This thing isn't that hard. The will for your life that God has for you specifically says in God's Word is to be holy. To be holy. And watch this. This, this word isn't as, as grand or as complex either as you might think. Holy means two different... Th- one common theme... But two different ways we can look at it. To be set apart or to be different. That's it. That's simple. God calls you and I to be set apart and to be different. That is the divine purpose that God has for every single one of our lives. Is to be set apart and to be different. You know, uh, and I made this comment in, in week one. I also made it in week two. So I feel that it's necessary to also make it in week three of this series. And that is this. Oftentimes, people can look at the church and look at society and not tell the difference. Unfortunately. Let me repeat that. Oftentimes, people can look at the church and look at society and they cannot tell the difference. See, God tells you and I through his scriptures and through his word. I'm getting right smack into it this morning. I apologize, but we're jumping right in. He says to be set apart and to be different. In other words, there must be a difference between you and the world. If you're a Christ follower, people must see a difference in you than what they see in someone who is not a Christ follower. If they do not see a difference, then guess what? We have a little bit of an issue, all right? So, how do I know what God's will is for my life? Scripture completely tells that. I just spelled it out for you it is this to be holy. You see, we go through a lot of things in life and a lot of questions come to mind and we're hit with a lot of questions, a lot of trouble, a lot of turmoil, a lot of problems, a lot of confusion, a lot of anxieties, right? A lot of stress. We go through a lot of different things, a lot of ups and downs and emotions, whole kinds of stuff. But, you know, when it comes to decisions, a lot of times we have a hard time making our minds up. You know, we're afraid of offending someone. We're afraid of committing all right. We're afraid of committing to this. You know, if I, you know what, Pastor Ken, if I decide to do this, that means I have to do that. And if there's another option, that means I really can't go back to it. So we have problems with commitment. We see that in marriages today, especially in the society we live in. A problem with commitment. All right. We have problems with commitment even when it comes to churches. We have problems in commitment even when it comes to jobs. You know, it's kind of like this. If something better comes along in our mind, we think that the grass is greener on the other side. But watch this. The same manure that made the grass green on your side is the same manure that's going to make the grass green on that side. Right. All right. So in, all, in other words, every situation has its problems. All right. The grass is not always greener on the other side. So we have a problem with commitment. And one of the things that we struggle with in, the, in that is indecisiveness. So what we'll do is we'll say, you know what, I choose not to choose. I choose not to decide. I choose not to do anything about it. The problem is we need to become more decisive. We as Christians, we as Christ followers, need to become more decisive in our decisions. What I mean by that is we need to understand that, listen, if I'm doing as we talked in week three, which was asking God for this one particular thing in our life, and that is what? Solomon asked him. And that is wisdom. If we can begin to go to God, instead of saying, God, I need you in this area, I need you in that area. What we're doing is, is we're separating God's in, God rather into different parts of our lives and saying, I need you here, but not necessarily here. And then I'm going to need you here, but not necessarily here. Let's just cover all the bases. Solomon did. When the Lord came to him and said, you know what, because of the offering of which you have given to me. And if you remember in that passage of scripture, it was customary for the the new king to give an offering or or a burnt sacrifice or, or a blood offering rather to the Lord. And that was a bull. In this story with Solomon, we read that he didn't give just one bull. But the story tells us that he gave a thousand bulls. He was being over generous in his gifting and his offering to God. So with that, we understand that because of this awesome generosity that Solomon gave to God, he goes, you know what? You ask for it, and I'm going to give it to you. I mean, think of this for a moment. The things that go through our mind, God, I want a million dollars in my bank account. He could have asked for that. God, I want power, and I want prestige. He could have asked for that. Lord, you know, God, I want to be respected. I want to be the best king that Israel has ever had. I want to be, I want to be, I want this and I want that. He could have went to God with anything that he chose. But he did one of the wisest things that he could have ever done. In fact, it shows that he had wisdom even before God granted it. And that was this. I only want one thing, God. I want wisdom. And then we read later on in the scripture, what did God do? Because of his act of selflessness in that moment because asking for wisdom meant he wasn't just thinking about himself but he wanted to be the leader that God intended him to be just like we want to be the leader of our families correct the way God intends us to be just like we want to be the leader in in our in our jobs correct the way God intends us to be just like here you go mom here's a here's a here's a plug for Mother's Day you want to be the leader in your home partnered with your husband exactly how God wants you to be. So he says this, you know what? I'm asking for wisdom. Because if I asked for wisdom, then I know that everything else would fall into place. And in fact, God says, because you asked for wisdom, he gave him so much more. He gave him the power. He gave him the fortune. He gave him the fame. He gave him what he longed for. So one of the things that we struggle with is indecisiveness. And we have a hard time making decisions because we have a hard time understanding what God's will is for our our lives. We think, well, you know, am I supposed to go this direction in God's will? Or is God's will taking me in this direction? Is God wanting me to go this route? Or is God wanting me to go that route? Understand, God only said one thing in the scriptures according to his will for your life. And that is to be what? Holy. To be set apart. To be different. We're going to take a look at a process this morning, and that is this, trusting God's process in your life. You know, it, it sounds easy. It sounds relatively simple. But for some reason, just like everything else in life, we oftentimes make it far more complex than what it needs to be. We're going to look in Acts chapter 20, and we're going to see where Paul is talking about a very emotional decision that he was making. And and, and Paul loved, understand this, Paul loved in the moment of where he was. And he was in Ephesus. The people were his people. They were his type of people. He was comfortable where he was. I mean, has anyone ever been in a spot where you've been comfortable? Right? We all have, right? We've all, some of you might be comfortable right now, you know? I'm comfortable with where I live. I'm comfortable with the family I have. I hope you're comfortable with the family you have, all right? If not, we got to talk later, all right? You know, I'm comfortable with the job that I'm in. I'm comfortable with the relationship that I have with Christ. Time out. There's where we're going to. We're going to challenge you a little bit. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24 says this. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I love that part. I love that. You know, you need to highlight that. You need to, you need to, like, star it. You need to tattoo it on your forearm. I don't know what you do, okay? But listen to this. What does he say in that moment? He says this. I consider my life worth nothing to me. The tattoo thing was a joke, by the way. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of what? God's grace. We're going to look at four different things here this morning. Four different steps, all right, on understanding or being able to trust the process that God is giving us. The first one is this. We need to trust the Spirit's prompting. What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit, okay? Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Let's go right back to that scripture right quick. It says, and now compelled By what? The Spirit. I love that part. And now compelled by the Spirit. In other words, he's saying, I love it where I'm at, but God's calling me to somewhere else. God's calling me. He's taking me out of my comfort zone. Here we have Paul in a moment where life is comfortable. I mean, we've been there. Like I said before, you're there now. Where things are just lining up in place and they're going the way that you want them. All right. Some of you are like, well, that's a fantasy world, Pastor Kevin. I'm not living in that situation right now. All right. But oftentimes we get comfortable, especially spiritually. We get get comfortable coming in on Sundays and having our time of worship. We get comfortable coming to Bible study on Wednesday nights. We get comfortable within our small groups that we have or 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 we get comfortable within our circle of friendship. We get comfortable in our devotional that we've been reading for the last 30 years over and over again. We get comfortable in the process of life spiritually often. And so we don't want to, we don't want to rock that because, you know, God, you know, I like where I'm at right now. And and yeah, I have prayers that I want to be deeper in, in a closer relationship with you, but I also know, Lord, that for me to have a deeper and a closer relationship with you, oftentimes that means trials may come. That means there's going to be times of growth that are going to come, which we love growth. We want growth, but you know what? Sometimes growth comes through pain. Sometimes growth comes through difficulty. I mean, think about it in the adolescence of our life when we're growing up and we're going through school. That, to me, is a pain. (laughs) Amen. Praise. I'm, there's a couple of you who are slackers like I was. That's awesome. All right. School was a pain, but if I never went through school, I would never be where I'm at now. You would never be where you're at now. I remember. This is awful. I'm gonna. I'm gonna admit something to you for a second. I went to Bible college. All of you know this. And uh, my first semester, I was there, and and you know. You're, you're away from home, okay? So, you know, mom and dad aren't there anymore. And you've got this amazing moment of freedom going through your life, yeah. all right? I mean, it's like, you know, if you, I don't know, it's, it's weird to explain. If you've been there, you know what I'm saying. But you get away and you're like, freedom, this is awesome. You know, you forget that you have responsibilities while you're at school, you know? But I remember uh, my first class was theology, Theology one, Simple, easy class, all right? But I remember sitting in there, and, and we, my friends and I, we were all getting together. We were more worried about socializing. We were all more worried about, you know, hanging out, having fun, you know, and, 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 and doing all this stuff and, instead of doing our schoolwork. And I recall we had our first test in theology. Uh, the professor told us when it was going to be. It was like two days out. And all of a sudden, all of us, were, we're frantic in our head. We're like, oh my gosh, this is the first real deal. What we, we haven't paid attention. Most of us have gone either class late or we've not even attended class, all right? And we know that there's a test coming up. And one of the older uh, upperclassmen said, guys, don't worry about it. We're like, what do you mean, don't worry about it? I got the test. And I'll, we're Bible college students. In theology, and one of the upperclassmen is like, "I got the test," and we're like, "Oh yes, this is amazing." So we all get the test, you know, and we're we're just A B C A C B, you know, going down, the, you know, the list of exactly what it's supposed to be. We get in there, right? We're sitting down for the test. I didn't even look at the questions. I'm just going boom, 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 hundred. Next day, go back to class. 0 That was a learning moment. He changed the test cuz he got word of what we did and it was a rough time for our lives. So we don't like challenge sometimes. We don't like prompting. We don't Some of you're like I totally can't respect you anymore, pastor. I'm human too, okay? And I got saved afterwards. So my father made sure of that. Um, you know, all kidding aside, but we, we don't like to be challenged. You know, we don't like it. We, we, we want to grow. We want to learn. We want to do things and be successful. But sometimes we don't like the process of what we have to do to get there. And, and I love this story about Paul because he says this, and now compelled by the Spirit. In other words, he's saying that God's moving me. In this moment, God is moving Paul. He's challenging him. He's placed something on his heart, something in his spirit. Have you ever been there before where God has challenged you? He stepped up to you. Maybe you didn't have to move geographically, but maybe God was challenging you in something that you needed to be a part of. Maybe you needed to be a part of a ministry. God's challenging you. Maybe you needed to be a part of, you know, start a ministry in a church. Maybe you need to to reach out to a friend who was hurting, and that's not maybe your... um, your characteristics of you, maybe that's not your, your, what makes you who you are. You know, some people are, are really shy, so they may not go up to somebody and just be like, hey, you know, I just feel like I need to pray with you right now. You know, it's some little things sometimes that God compels us to do, but oftentimes we'll push them aside and just be like, you know what, I'm making a decision not to decide on that, or actually making a decision to decide not to decide. And so we'll push things off. I love this about Paul because he says, and now being compelled, or now compelled by the Spirit. You know? Compelled by the Spirit, he says, I am going to Jerusalem. What I want you guys to understand here is this. The Greek word translated as compelled by the Spirit are these words. Dio, ho, pneuma. All right? Pneuma means this. Spirit. All right? Dio means accord or a pulling. In other words, he's saying, I'm being pulled by the Spirit. The Spirit is pulling me into another direction. The Spirit is pulling me to go somewhere different. I I love it where I'm at, but I'm experiencing that something, or rather the Spirit is pulling me in another direction. It could be really big for your life. Maybe, maybe, Maybe you felt God pulling you in different things. Maybe it's something huge, or maybe it's something small. But what I want to bring to your attention this morning is this, is that we need to pay attention when the Spirit begins to move in our life. We need to pay attention when God gives a prompting for us to do something. Because typically, watch this, when God is prompting you to do something, it's not necessarily to your benefit, but rather the benefit of those who might be surrounded by it or impacted by the decision that you're going to make. I use Paul a lot when it comes to decision-making. I mean, we, we, you know, we, I use Jonah a lot, in fact. Uh, I, I did a whole series on him. If you remember, Jonah, went to, you know, he made a bad choice. What happened? Everyone within his surrounding area of that boat now was placed in a place of turmoil. The decisions that you make in life, not only to determine your outcome and the outlook that's for your life, but also those you're surrounded with, those you work with, those you live with, those you love, Paul said this, I'm now being compelled and I'm going to Jerusalem. Paul recognized that this is not of his own thinking. How many of you have ever done that? Oh, you know what? I can't, you know, God, God could not want me to do that. That's crazy. I don't have those talents. I don't have those abilities. I don't have that know-how. I don't have that knowledge or that wisdom of the scripture. God, you don't want me to do that. And so we think a lot of times, that's just me thinking. That's just me making this up in my head. Or we'll even take it a step further. Oh, well, Satan just wants me to look stupid. He just wants me to look bad. And so what we oftentimes do is the decisions that are being placed in front of us to make or the being compelled by God's spirit or being led by God's spirit, we play it off as our own thinking or we play it off by the enemy's attack in our life to make us look ignorant or stupid. Let me say something real quick. If what you are being compelled to do enhances the kingdom of God, I'm going to answer this for you. I promise you it's not the enemy asking you to do it. It's not him influencing you to do it. Because he is fearful of you. Understand that. We must begin to trust God's process in our life. Paul recognized that this was not his own thinking. His own thinking would have said, I love where I am. I don't want anything different. His own thinking would have said, you know what, I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to rock the boat. Second thing we're going to take a look at right quick is certain uncertainty. Paul said, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. But then he says this, not knowing what will happen to me there. (laughs) It's kind of like the movie with uh, A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson. Remember, he, he looks at him and says, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Oftentimes, God looks at us and says this. You want details? You can't handle them. I can't give you all the details of everything that's going to happen. You just need to trust the process. You just need to trust me in this moment that I'm going to work everything out. See, because if we looked at the details of what God has for us, we would also see in those moments of growth where there might be some trials. There might be some uncomfortable moments that would cause us to go, oh, wait a minute. I can't step out like that. I can't. I. 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 I can't get involved in that. I'm, I'm afraid I might fall. So God actually says, "You know what? I can't give you the details." And and Paul right here says, "Look." He says, "Not knowing what will happen to me there." In other words, I'm going to go. I have no idea why God's compelling me and moving me in this direction. But all I know is, is I got to go because His Spirit is saying go. It's almost like it's a thoughtless decision that He's making. God challenges him. What does he do? He accepts it and he goes. God challenges us. What do we do? We think about it. We analyze it. We talk to our neighbors about it. We phone a friend. We put it on Facebook. What is your opinion? Right? We do all of these things before we come up with the decision to go, no, thank you, God. I love the way Paul did it. God compels him through the Spirit. He doesn't even hardly think about it. And he says, you know what? I got to go. I have no idea where I'm going. No idea what's going to happen. I, I don't know. I just must move in God's timing. Because he's got a what? A divine purpose. See, I believe that God's challenging you and I with these scriptures because he's saying, look, there's some things that I have spoken to you about in your life. There's some direction that I have given you in your life. See, I have a divine purpose for you. There's great things that come through you. But the problem is is you're overanalyzing it. The problem is, is you're looking for opinions from everyone else rather than going straight to the source. And who is that? God. And so what happens most of the time is we step back and we choose not to decide. I love in Psalm 119, 105, this is a great scripture. It says this, your word, who's your God? Your word, or rather God's word is a what? Lamp. To guide my feet. And a light for my path. Watch this. The scripture doesn't say that God shines a bright spotlight on your future. Does it? It says what? He's a light to our feet. What does that mean? That means he's a right now, in the moment, in the present God. See, the reason why he doesn't always show us the future is (laughs) because, as that terminology, you can't handle it. I love this scripture. God is a light. He's leading me. He's guiding me. He is allowing me to see just enough to know that he is there. Just enough to be able to make the right choices right now. Again, our overanalyzing goes, well, what's the future mean? What's the future going to have for this? How's this going to affect my future? You trust God right now. He'll handle the future. You trust God in the present. And he'll unfold everything else in the future. The third thing we're going to look at right quick is this. Predictable resistance. Paul says, All I know is I'm being prompted. I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. You see, we see all throughout Scripture... Uh, of of individuals who were called to do great things by God uh, faced resistance. Abraham faced resistance. Noah, what? Faced resistance. Moses faced resistance. We need to take a look at resistance and be like, that's a compliment. That's a compliment. Because without the resistance, I can't grow. Without the resistance, I can't learn and become more wise. David, what? He faced resistance resistance. Jesus ultimately what? Faced resistance. So if Jesus is facing resistance and we face resistance in our life, I need to be like, you know, I'm in the same club as he is. God's got a will. God's got a divine purpose. God's got a calling on all of our lives. Resistance is necessary at times. It's a sign that God's will is taking place in our life. We need to understand that the struggle that we might be having today is developing the spiritual strength that you need for tomorrow. If you remember, I, I started this whole series out and I said this question, or I brought out this point. I said, you know what, the decisions you make today will reflect your future in tomorrow. And the decisions that you made yesterday are reflecting your present right now. What choices has God laid before you? What choices has God challenged you with? What are the things that God has compelled you to do as a mom and dad with your family? Or as a husband and wife with your spouse? What are the challenges or the things that God has compelled you to do as one of His Christ followers? Within your circle of friendships, here at your own church. What are the things that God has compelled and challenged you to do, but yet you have sat on it for time and time and time and time again? And God is looking and saying, and and, and then, oh, listen, listen. And then what we do is we go, God, you're not moving in my life. God said, I'm trying, but you're not listening. I love Paul because Paul goes, I'm compelled by the spirit. I have to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to face hardship. I'm going to face You know, the Holy Spirit was warning him of prison and distraction and and arrest and all these different things in these other cities. But all he knew was, "I, I must go. The very moment we come across resistance, what do we do? We give up. This must not be of God. I can't go any further. I missed it. I've made the wrong choice. The struggle that you're having today is developing the spiritual strength that you need tomorrow. We must trust God's process. We must trust his spiritual prompting. We must trust the, un, or the certain uncertainty that we have. We must trust the predictable resistance that's going to come forth with doing what God wants us to do in our life. And before we get to this fourth stage, what I want you to understand here about Paul in his early, early days as, as a Christ follower was this. First, beforehand, he was probably one of the most persecuted individuals over Christians. He persecuted. He killed them. He arrested them. It was a game to him. It was fun. And then the Damascus Road experience where he gave his life, everything changed. And then we think instantly he got right into preaching. That's not, the, that's not how it happened. The, the Bible doesn't specifically give us all the details, but we know this. He was a tent maker. We know this, that there was a period of about three years before he actually began to speak his first message. That he was, we don't, the scripture doesn't even hardly base anything with him any longer on it. And you have to look in history to find out what did this man do? He did like many of us does when God prompts us to do something. He does like many of us does when when we have to go in and go into schooling and, and to become wise. He had to get alone with God. He had to have a time where, you know, I was killing Christians. Now, I just can't go and preach to them. I mean, who would listen to him? Think about that for a moment. There was a period of time where God had to separate him away. There was a period of time of resistance right there spiritually, probably for his life. Probably a time where God, you know what? You've you've saved me. I've committed my life to you. I know that you have great things in store, but he's sitting in this spot for about three years where nothing was happening. What do I do now, God? What am I supposed to go? What, what's going on? And the whole time, God is preparing him, surrounding him with people, imparting wisdom and knowledge, of the scriptures, leading him through his Holy Spirit. God was doing great things in this man's life. And then all of a sudden, this one man named Bartimaeus kind of stuck up for him and was like, hey, you know what? You guys need to allow this guy to come and preach at your, at, at your events. And little by little, Paul's popularity grew and grew and grew. And he got to preach to more and more and teach more and more people. And and we understand that, I mean, you know, two-thirds of the New Testament is written by this man. It's remarkable what God did through him. But yet we'll look at our past and go, God can't use me. You don't understand, I've gone through a divorce. Well, you know what, so have I. You don't understand God can't use me. I was addicted to alcohol. You know, you you don't understand God can't use me because I was a drug addict. God can't use me because I was addicted to pornography. God can't use me because I've cheated on my spouse. God can't use me because I've taken his name in vain and I've cursed God. God can't use. We give so many excuses as to why God can't use us. And God is saying, look, it's all under the blood. The moment you gave your life to me, it's under the blood. And I've got a hope, I've got a plan, and I've got a future for your life, and I'm going to use you. I love it with Paul. He's a great example of how God took something that was so worthless and made it shine like a diamond. Unreal. So the fourth thing we're going to take a look at here is this uncommon confidence. We have the Spirit's prompting. We have certain uncertainty. We have predictable resistance. And then this one, we have an uncommon confidence. You know, he says that even though there's going to be bad and difficult times, and even though I don't know the details, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. This is Paul's words. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task Lord Jesus has given me. My only goal is to finish the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I can serve Jesus exactly where I am. Going forward, what did Paul do? He did a lot. Thousands were saved under his ministry. He wrote so much of the Bible in the New Testament. Going forward, what did he do? He was brave. He stepped out. Not knowing what the future was, but understanding that, God, you've shown me steps one, two, and three. I don't need to worry about steps four, five, and six. That will come in your timing. How does this still apply to our lives? What am I supposed to do? What about my passions? What about my calling? I love it with Paul because during that three years, we understand he made tents. That was his job. During that time, he was the best tent maker he could be until he flowed right into the outcome or or the goal of what God had for his life. What does that mean? That means wherever you are right now, do the best and be the best you can in it. Be the best business owner that you can be, be the best husband and wife that you can be, be the best parent that you can be, be the best friend that you can be to your circle of friendships. Be the best acquaintance. Be the best stranger you can be. Be the best housewife you can be. Be the best. Why? Because you have the best inside of your life. Be the best. Don't settle for second place. The whole trophy mentality of today. Everybody gets a trophy. No, earn it. Earn that trophy. Right? Right? I hear a lot of times, and, and you know, I, I can't help but not agree with the statement, but also it kind of makes me sick, is this. If I just make it into heaven, I'll be happy. No. You know, and, and that's great. I want everybody to just, you know, make it into heaven. That's awesome. But I want to make it because I'm in relationship with Jesus. I want to make it because I'm doing great things for him. You know, I want to make it because I'm going to be like Paul and step out, in the spirit, be compelled by it, and do what he tells me to do. I don't want to just make something. I want to do it to the fullest. I want to be the best Christian that I can possibly be. Amen? I want you to stand with me this morning. So what is God's will for your life? It's to be holy. It's to be set apart. It's to be different. How am I going to be different? I'm going to step out. I'm going to be when God leads me, when he compels me to do something, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do it. I'm going to stop overthinking. I'm going to stop overanalyzing life. When I know that God is moving, I'm going to flow in it. I'm going to no longer allow fear and doubt. I'm no longer going to allow, you know, being scared to dictate who I am in Christ. I'm not going to care about what others may think of me. My past is my past, and it is over. All that God cares about is right now and the future. So let's pray this prayer. Father, I thank you right now for every person here this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for the relationships that is represented here with you. But God, help us all in this place to understand that we must trust your process. We must trust the uncertainty of things that we don't see, that, that we cannot see, that you're not showing us, but we need to be l- obedient to you leading us and, and, and hearing your words. God, that we must trust your process and, 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 and hear your prompting and recognize it. So, Father, all of us in this room today as, and, and this covers all of us, I believe. Not just a, a handful of people, but every one of us. Let us be led by your spirit. God, if it's been a while since we've been challenged, challenge us. You've given us instruction through your word. We say we want to be great in your eyes. We want to do greater things. So let's live up to that now, Lord. Challenge us. Open us up to opportunity, Father. Your will for our lives, God, is before us, and that is to be holy and to be set apart. Challenge us, Lord, to be holy, to be set apart, and to be different. That when the world sees us, they don't see us as part of them, but they see us as the body of Christ. So use us, God. We thank you.